Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. This week on the podcast, I have a true friend, Steph Galante, on with me, and she's revisiting the podcast to talk about perfectionism in the yoga space. Steph and I have similar passions, working to support folks in their self-care, and Steph specializes in the activist space, supporting people who are seeking liberation and social change. There is a lot for us to chat about as we cover our experiences in yoga spaces and what we think are the major ways that perfectionism seeps into our classes. I'm betting that you'll relate to a lot of what we've run into since both of us have been in the wellness industry for over 20 years and have been around a lot of places. But before we begin, this is the part of the intro where I ask you to follow, subscribe, or like the podcast from wherever you're listening. Why, you might ask? Because the internet likes it when you feed it and tell it what to do. When you drop those subscribe coins into the internet, it spits out the opportunity for us to connect together with other yoga professionals. I know it always feels weird to do what the algorithm tells you, and I feel that too, but I believe the more people we connect together in this virtual space, the more likely we are to connect together in real life as well. So let's commit to connection in 2024 and also drop our like, subscribe, and follow coins into this machine as well. Thank you so much. And can we talk about my newsletter for a sec? I love connecting with y'all each week in writing form, which is one of my very favorite ways to communicate with people. So go into the show notes and hop on my newsletter. I'll give you a little more insight into the podcast each week, share other yoga industry offerings and data as I see it, and remind you that wellness needs to exist for us too, which sometimes even I forget. And when I do forget, I reread blogs from our podcast sponsor, Sunlight Streams. And remember that we all deserve wellness, rest, and nourishment. Grab their writing at www.thesunlightexperience.com backslash blog. Now, let's listen to the conversation I had with my friend, Steph Galante. Hey, friends. Welcome to Working in Yoga. Okay, so... Sometimes I just get to call my friends and then have them on the podcast, and this is one of those times. So let me introduce you to my very lovely friend, Steph Galante. Steph, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Hi, everyone. My name is Steph Galante. My pronouns are she and her. I'm coming to you from the ancestral lands of the Lenny Lenape here in central New Jersey, and I am a self-care coach. I focus on... Uh, people who are doing liberation work in the world um, and supporting them in healing, making it through, figuring out burnout, overwhelm, um, pushing against. And I hate that word because I feel like I feel like that phrase when we say pushing against, it's like it focuses on the activity of pushing versus like being and figuring out our way through. But, you know, figuring our way through dominant culture um, and all of its messaging around self-care, around simply being in the world, what our work should look like, how we're supposed to be in our relationships, et cetera, right? All of that internal work that can really get wrapped up in how we're conditioned in American culture um, and finding a better way <laughs> that, um, <laughs> you know, makes life a little bit more easeful amidst right? All that is going on and, and, and hopefully maybe beginning to make some small but significant structural changes, at least where we can, like the structures that we can control in our immediate 
surrounding, obviously, with the intention of making those greater shifts and changes. So um, I'm a yoga teacher. I am an Ayurveda yoga specialist. And so I have the privilege, the blessing, the I'm just so grateful to be able to use the wisdom and science of Ayurveda, along with the wisdom and science of yoga and its rich practices and traditions um, as healing practices and support practices for people. And as I'm sure all of your listeners know, the depth and breadth of Ayurveda for me, it's taking these pieces and making them easy to use for people that really limit the shoulds, the shame, the guilt that can come around our self-care, especially living in this fast-paced, overwhelming, so much going on in the world that is weighing on us, society. Yeah. I feel kind of satiated there. I'm a parent to You do a podcast. Two kids. I have a podcast called Humaning, the shit we need to talk about. Um, yeah, I think we could pause there. Oh, I'm a lecturer at Rutgers University, so I get to share all this stuff with college <laughs> students, which is really fun. Yeah, so yeah, I do a little bit of, of a lot of things. <laughs> also- but I'm excited to be here with all of you. I'm excited to talk to you about our segment this I don't know if I'm going to call it a season, this section of things that I'm recording, like 10 or 12 episodes, we are talking about perfectionism. And it's like, I want to unpack this a little bit for us as an industry, for us as professionals, because it's like really messy. I feel it's really messy. Part of perfectionism culture, we can talk about that in the greater context, has really slid into the yoga and wellness space it slid into Mm -hmm. how we sell it it slid into like all of those things and I'm just gonna ask you what I've asked everybody else how the hell did we get here (laughs) like what the hell stuff (laughs) why are we like this (laughs) oh my gosh well I, I think for many of us especially I'm sure the people who are in your orbit who are listening you know colleagues of yours and mine you know it's it's really not through our own doing right where it's kind of just what has happened from dominant culture. And so that's the easy piece of it. And I think what's very interesting is, you know, how aware many of us who are yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, whether you're a studio owner, excuse me, or not, um, you know, somebody who, whether you practice asana weekly or daily, whatever it is, I mean, anybody who is at all in and around yoga culture and also doing liberation work maybe outside of that I think what's people are really starting to realize is how deeply entrenched dominant culture and all of the systems and all of the systems of oppression how they are 100% present in the yoga industry and within yoga spaces within not just the physical space but the way yoga teachers are taught to teach in the West and, and all of the things that have to do, whether it's clothing, whether it is anything, it's, it's present in literally every aspect of the yoga industry here in the West, 100%. How do we deconstruct it? Like, so, I mean, besides like you and I just talk, but how do we deconstruct this? So, you're say you're a yoga teacher you're in typical yoga spaces you're in yoga studios you're teaching yoga classes how are you looking at it differently so it doesn't feel so oppressive so that you're not like assaulted with the shame the guilt you know because it's it's like affronting when you go on social media and you look in yoga spaces and you're like jesus my body doesn't look that like that on the beach and holy (laughs) smokes like my skin is not glowing like their skin is glowing. Like I maybe haven't showered in a day because I have children <laughs> like, and life. I mean, I don't want to blame it on my kids, but you know, <laughs> but also <laughs> like, like, how are you, what are you telling yourself? Are we just like life coaching ourselves through these moments? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I think first it's, it's awareness, right? It's like starting to really be aware And I have to say for me, as a person who walks through the world with brown skin, my 
approach to this may be different from someone else's approach, right? But I think by and large, you know, obviously, and I should say, you know, our identities, the intersection of them are going to have a role in this too. Um, but I feel as though some of the steps can be very similar kind of regardless of your identities. And that is number one, awareness, right? Being able to, I guess, take maybe the rose colored glasses off and, or start to take a critical lens, right? Yeah. And and just like you might be in other areas of your life where you started to disrupt and, you know, unlearn and relearn, you're kind of taking those same steps in, in this. And you may have a lot of feelings and it may feel like you said, like really affronting and really fucking uncomfortable and horrifying, perhaps even for the ways you also perpetuated the bullshit. Because I know I did too. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And for me, it's really complicated because like ancestry wise, like I have ancestry directly to, you know, one of the birthplaces in terms of yoga. Right. So, you know, ancestry wise, my ancestors are coming from India. I was raised, though, in Western Christian culture. So complicated. Right. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, damn, like I'm not even honoring my ancestors as a, you know, peddling this bullshit. Right. So there that when I say for me and the way I walk through the world, like talk about the guilt and the shame. Yeah. Big time. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, I think, you know, going back to that old adage, like when you know better, you do better. Right. And so coming to your question of like, how do we do this? One in awareness, right. Beginning to recognize like what is happening. And I think always the kindest, the most gracious and most sustainable way to start any sort of change is going to be start small we may be the type of people, you may be the type of person who's like, I got to go all in, but you know, that's probably not going to be sustainable. That's mm -hmm. where like when you hit against the guilt or the shame or like the the big challenges that you may not have enough, you know, you may not be resourced enough to kind of really push. And so small, start small. Like, is it showing up in the way you sequence? right is, is bias or you know this stuff showing up in the way that you sequence things is it showing up in the way that you're starting or ending classes whether people are still saying namaste or right um is it showing up in the way you're dressing to teach class right are you feeling like you've always got to wear yoga pants <laughs> right like, no no I don't <laughs> I, I taught in my pajamas the other day they didn't know <laughs> are you always going to Lululemon for your clothes, right? Like, you know, like just simple things that you're not even yeah. thinking about because they're just so, I feel like so ingrained in yoga culture. It's quote unquote, what we do, Yeah. right? So it's starting to take that critical lens to those small things, right? It doesn't necessarily have to start with really difficult, hard conversations with your studio owner or, it, I mean, it can, Sure. But if you're like, well, that seems like a level five and I want to start at a level one, right? Then <laughs> start with those small things. It's not to say that you don't think those big, hard conversations are important, aren't important or that the big sweeping changes don't need to happen. But when the question is, how do you start? Start small and that will be sustainable. And that will naturally lead to being able to do those bigger, harder things. I love that piece of advice because I do actually think Oftentimes, a lot of people start at level five, push up against the guilt and shame, and then in order to work their way through that, disseminate guilt and shame to other people. Like, Ooh. I'm uncomfortable because I've pushed hard into the guilt and shame part of it and haven't yeah. done the foundation work. Like you said, the small work of saying, like, is alignment BS? Is it not? Like unpack that like how much of alignment say in a yoga asana class is rooted in perfectionism versus mm. rooted in actual movement science that is necessary for the work that we're doing the movement we're doing in our classes mm. like we have if you haven't built that foundational level like you said you push into level five you don't have no idea what to do with all the guilt and shame you've run into right there and so you start making other people feel crappy for it because that foundational work is not there. So th I think you're so right. That's spot on. Like start very small. Like, how are you teaching? Like start to, at your next yoga class. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
where do you see perfectionism show up in the yoga space for you? Like, oh, as shit. you're looking around, I mean, we only have, a, we have a limited amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what are the big ones? I mean, I'm thinking of two or three that I see. Oh, tell me your three. Okay, I would say food would be number one for me. I Why think. How are we even talking about food? Yes. <laughs> I know because none of us I mean, are I love food <laughs> let me be clear I love food I just don't understand why it is we're talking about food and yoga like in the yoga like, okay anyway. I, I so agree with you like like talk about being out of our scope like <laughs> I can't I can't even with that but I will tell you a story of what I've seen happen is me as a yoga teacher I have gone into a public restaurant a Panera in fact which is not even that good of a restaurant I went there to get <laughs> soup for my kid and I saw two of my students there and they actively hid the cookies that they had bought from me. And I like, in that moment, I was like, oh, you think of me differently than I'm operating in the world. Cause babe, I love a cookie, like mm -hmm. love them. They're delicious mm -hmm. and chewy and warm. And if they have chocolate, oh my gosh. And oh, it's just nourishes my soul. And I thought, how did we get there, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. that I've never discussed cookies with either of these folks, mm -hmm. but they thought of me enough that I was a quote unquote good yoga person. I was doing mm -hmm. the right thing, the perfect thing, that they had hide their cookies from me. Mm. And and oh. that's not like the fun hide your cookies euphemism. It's like the literally putting <laughs> Napkins oh, that on just top makes of me cookies. so sad for them, for the cookie, for you. That's <laughs> the whole situation. But it's not uncommon. It is absolutely not uncommon because for me, being in the fitness and wellness industry my entire career, I'm talking about 20 years of seeing this, where people will, you know, just feel a certain way about talking about whatever behavior and feeling like they've got to defend it or feel guilty about it or shame about it when it comes up or when you quote unquote catch them like in person yeah. or whatever it is, right? Like it's, there's, yeah. Okay. So I want to hear about your other two though. The other I'd two things that came to mind. Food alignment is my next one. I think that's perfectionism hiding behind movement science. Mm. Like as we move, like, it doesn't matter where your arm is in triangle pose. It freaking doesn't. Like, I'm just going to say, like, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> it's funny because for me, that has been a lot of work because I, my degree is in movement, movement science. science. Yes, yes. And so I have spent the greater part of like the last year and a half really like interrogating what I have learned, what I have been taught, and what do I feel about this? Because I have spent so many years studying the body, studying Western science, that I'm like, holy shit, this just upends so much of what I've known. And so I can't say I agree with your statement that it doesn't matter where your arm <laughs> is in triangle pose. But what I can say is that the, the message that is so prevalent in any fitness space in that, that talks about movement, that facilitates, guides movement, including not all, but many, depending on the style of yoga, the, 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 I don't want to say the lineage because that's, it's not that, but Brand. whatever the teaching is, right? Yeah. Because some some classes don't talk about alignment, body placement at all. It's kind of like, just do this, and it, which <laughs> I have lots of feelings about too. Anyway, <laughs> let me stay on topic. There often is this message of if your body does or does not do this, then you are going to get injured for sure 100% or this is wrong. Right. And we like to, and then that, that becomes a scare tactic for people, like scaring them into the quote unquote right alignment or doing things the quote unquote right way. Um, and that, which is very problematic and we should not be putting that on people. Yeah. Um, and so 
yes, honoring what you said. I'm in my own journey with that <laughs> as well. I have to say my teaching has changed where, you know, I have been very conscious of shifting that narrative that I pull into class and offering, right? Place this here, place this here. Maybe this is moving in the direction of this. Yeah. Perhaps if you're feeling etc. in this place, you might adjust in this way. Yeah. Because I think too, what happens is, and certain movements, just being with our bodies can be very weird. (laughs) Sometimes we don't know how to move our body in space. Sometimes we don't know how to be with our body. Sometimes everything feels uncomfortable or I don't know. And so I think too, though, people do need some guidance in understanding where their body is in space and how to be with their body and discerning discomfort from pain from this is kind of weird, but it's not discomfort and it's not painful. Right. Yeah. So we, as teachers need to be educated on how to facilitate that, but guilting and shaming people into having their body be in a certain position in order to do this right is bullshit. That is my feeling on that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think actually teaching, as you said, proprioception and interoception, like those, how you feel your body in space, what you're feeling on the inside is probably the most important we thing we're doing in our classes. Because it's like nobody knows. Like people don't really have, like when does that come up in any other time in your life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Like it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. But I do think like for me and my brain, I've made a, I've divested from the idea of what proper alignment is and moved into teaching people what integrity in their movement is. Mm. So I want your yeah. movement to have integrity, but does it matter if your arm is directly out from your shoulder in a 90 degree angle versus a 70 degree angle versus a 110 yes. degree angle? Like it doesn't freaking matter. Like you look pretty if it's at 90 degrees. And I agree with Mr. Iyengar. We looked very pretty in our photos that whole time. Like, (laughs) great. (laughs) Thank you. Everyone looks lovely. Now, if I'm teaching a class of two class of people in sweatpants, they don't care. I'm not taking their picture. Right. 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 Exactly. And for me, I think, you know, when it comes from an Ayurvedic perspective and we're talking about energy and not just energy flowing, right? Like, prana right but we're talking about like what energy is present for us am I feeling hella anxious right now am I feeling hella lethargic right now is like pitta energy like that fire like totally like completely consuming me in which case variations are so important for us to just achieve like you were saying triangle and it looking this certain way can be very soothing for one person's experience, but completely aggravating for somebody else's experience. Yes. So that is something else. When we talk about perfectionism in terms of what asana looks like on the mat and achieving quote unquote, that peak or that pristine place of being. Yeah. Great. Good for you if you do it, but we're missing the piece of, of yoga and of asana that, like you were saying, that internal integrity, that internal alignment of, well, shit, if reaching my arm in this direction is going to just continue to heighten my anxiety, why the hell am I doing that for the sake of quote unquote doing triangle? Yeah. Right. Like, why am I doing that? And so, yes, 100% also to that offering that, you know, Ayurveda so wonderfully gives us, which is to do what feels supportive and soothing right which goes against that dominant culture piece but yes 100 in asana in alignment yes yes 100 what else what was the third one i just have to say first of all that i loved that when you got really serious your face got really close to the camera i was like oh she's in it (laughs) (laughs) that was good So I think my third, okay, my third one is, I think a hard one, because we don't talk about this, but perfectionism, when we're talking within those of us who are practitioners within the industry, that we have to be perfect on another level, because we're supposed to be better than our students. 
And that Ooh. I think is so, I have all the feelings about that, but that's part of why I came into this series talking about perfectionism is that it is very complicated when yoga and wellness is both your job and your practice. And we feel like we have to be perfect on another level, hashtag yoga every damn day. Like, and that I think actually does us a disservice in mm. a lot of different ways. And so I'm curious what you see in that. Yes, 100%. I, I feel as though there is everywhere a perception that we have to have it all together all yes. the time, doing things a certain way all the time that if we are messy if we mess up if we are anything less than perfect then we have to repent yeah in all the ways yes um either we hide it or we have to tell everybody about it so that you know that's part <laughs> of our repentance yes 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 right and then we've got to fucking just do better the next time and keep on doing better and, yeah. and, and, you know, level up. Yep. And all of that is bullshit. <laughs> it is. It's complete and utter bullshit. Like just because you are a teacher, you are a guide, you hold some sort of quote unquote status. And this goes for anybody in any industry, anywhere doing anything doesn't mean you have to have it all together, know all the things, not mess up. Like that's, that is all dominant culture. That, that is all white supremacy culture, right? Like coming into yep. play. Yep. Right. And to have to make fun of our messiness, to glorify our messiness, right. To like, you know, make it seem yes. like we're okay with it, but like inside we're just like totally cringing and it's like yes. the guilt and shame and awfulness and judgment. Yes. No. And, or, and I'll come, go ahead. I was gonna say, and oftentimes to that point, we leverage our messiness. We're yes. perfect. And then when we're not perfect, we're on camera going, oh my God, I'm a mess. Look, exactly. I'm a real person. Don't forget, right. here's the link to my course. <laughs> like, like, this yes. that's all wrapped up in this expectation we're supposed to be perfect people yes yes 100 percent. and you know i think it's so complicated um i for me um i developed a perfectionist tendency as a way to cope um you know, with my surroundings growing up as a person of color, like in an all white town, like dealing with all of that. And it was, that was my way of, if I am just good enough, then people will yes. accept me. I won't be othered all the time. And it obviously grew and changed in not so great ways um, through different areas and times of my life. And the thing about the thing about it for me is number one, obviously there's no such thing as perfect. Number two, we're, we're human and, and we're changeable and we have shortcomings and we are what the system is calling us to do. What people who are, are calling us to be this certain way are doing it's harmful yeah and when it comes to i'm trying to gather my thoughts in real time um because i have so much to say and i'm like wait what, what am i gonna say next um When it comes to us having to admit and be with the pieces that don't 
achieve that per per perfection, there is a lot of shame. And I think there is a lot of guilt and there is a lot of judgment, which is why we go to those weird behaviors of glorifying, et cetera, right? So I think what's really important to understand is that, I, and I think also the greatest gift that Ayurveda gave to me was that place of grace, of compassion, as we move through the world of self-love, right? And not self-love as in like, I love myself, so I'm gonna go buy this thing. I love myself, so I'm gonna go do the bubble bath, right? Not always action oriented in terms of like, I check the box, but like, am I speaking to myself in a loving manner? This judgment, is it a place of love? that I'm coming from as I'm judging myself, as I'm shaming myself, as I'm guilting myself, right? And so for me, that's been the greatest gift because perfectionism was so deeply rooted in my way of being. Yeah. And that was the gift I didn't expect as I started to dive into the education and the wisdom of Ayurveda was that and then that changed how I was on the mat that changed right like all of my yoga practices was coming from that place right and so like when we are yoga teachers when we are holding space for people to be on the mat with their bodies when we are facilitating breath work when we are facilitating meditation when we are facilitating quiet still practices are we encouraging them truly from a place of unfiltered, unguarded self-love, yeah. self-compassion and grace? And are you as the teacher really truly practicing that within your own life? Because that's gonna be the only way we dismantle that. Yeah. Right, it's we as teachers have to be practicing and embodying that yeah truly if there's anything we need to be modeling it is that <clears throat> and also yeah. last time i checked i'm pretty sure that's why we were here in the first place was to do that work right yeah so okay i'm gonna throw a hypothesis at you this is the hypothesis i've been operating from is that so many of us came into yoga spaces because before we got into yoga, we were either in households that required us to be per perfect or encourage perfection. We were, you know, having school interactions that required us to be perfect and were rewarding us for being perfect. So we slid into spaces like yoga studios and they felt like home because there was somebody in the room saying, we need you to be perfect. There is a thing you can achieve or do that when you do it you are rewarded and so we didn't question it because it felt normal yes 100 um i think that we do this in the way we have a hierarchy of poses yeah um when we have a peak pose and we show the peak pose right I am not saying, because I do believe, I, I love sequencing, that's my jam. Um, but uh, when we are saying, you know, this is the posture, we, this is the pose, this is the shape we are working toward today. We might show it. Sometimes, you know, teachers will show it at the beginning of class. Um, you know, this is where we're going. But if you can't do that, if that's not accessible, here's what you could do instead. Now, I love that you're honoring that people may not be able to do that, but why does it have to be like, if you can't do this, if this is right, it's maybe we don't show, right? And it's just working our way through variations that you just offer with yeah. no label, right? So instead of letting there be this hierarchy of this is the way the pose looks, but if you can't do that, well, then we've got, 10,000 other options for you to do, right? Um, you know, I, I think that that's one way 
that we can kind of get away from that um, is that pose hierarchy for sure. Yeah. I mean, in a very practical way of just being like, look, instead of saying poses exist on a ladder where the top of the ladder is your ideal and everything else is leading up to the ideal, maybe they're just on a like straight line and this is yeah. the range. Like here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to move your spine in this way. Here's the range right. through which you can move, figure out what works best for you. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it may look like this today. It may look like that. I have found for me the easiest way I've gotten away from, you know, that, well, if not this, then this, it's been like, all right, so warrior two, we're going to have one leg straight and the other leg is going to be bent in this direction. Yep. Arms might look like this, you know? And, and as I got deeper into like the Ayurvedic understanding of like, of like I was talking about earlier, like energy and like, how are we feeling? That has kind of guided yeah. the options that I offer. Yeah. Right. Your arms might look like this, but if you're feeling like you need a little bit of grounding, maybe you're coming in with your arms closer to you, right? Maybe you're doing this instead. And something else I've started to offer too is more standing variations or more seated variations. Like how can you offer this differently? How can I, if somebody is like needing to lie down today, but they want to come to class, whether yeah. you're on zoom or you're in person, what's a freaking lying down option that they can do, right? If literally it took everything they had to just walk in the freaking door or turn their computer on, what, what can they do? Yeah. Right. What if we were starting to look at postures from a place of how are you feeling? How do you need to come to the practice today? Nice. Yeah. Versus this is what it should look like. And if you can't do this, well, here are two other options that also may not be accessible. Yeah, it's interesting because we have teachers and I've asked this to a lot of different teachers. We as teachers oftentimes come into teaching classes with the intention of what muscles we want our students to move, but we rarely are asking ourselves how we want our students to feel at the end of class. Mm. And I'm always like, isn't that funny? Because you can control the other one too. Like you can say, I want my students to be so downregulated that they feel blissed out at the end and then build an mm. entire class around that feeling, which yep. is honestly a more interesting game to me. That's a more interesting game as a teacher to be able to build something towards like, I want them to feel energized because they're at a 6.30 in the morning class. So at the end, I want them to feel like clear-headed and focused and ready to go. Like, That's how right. do I build something towards a feeling versus towards a like I want somebody's muscles to flex or rotate in a particular way like mm -hmm. I, I think that's a game we can play that makes our jobs more interesting too because I'm all like you know me and like I'm all about gamifying all the things to make it more interesting <laughs> it's well because you know the reality is you know if you no matter how long you've been doing this it, you can feel stale you can you yep. can just feel like you know the passion is gone. And so this is one way to kind of keep things very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So tell me as a person who's been in wellness movement, yoga, 20 years, have you felt like you needed to be perfect? All the time. All the time. I mean, I'm how much time do we have? I could tell you all the way. I mean, <laughs> I've got my I mean, chai just... here. I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, I think, and, and there are some differences between like the fitness spaces, like commercial gym versus like yoga studio, right? Um, but 100%, you know, to be thin, muscular, yeah. right? No matter what, not be sick. Especially I feel like, you know, when, once I started, you know, practicing yoga often, teaching yoga you know, studying Ayurveda, people expected I was never going to get sick. I don't know how yes. one equaled the other. I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, so there was always that pressure to look a certain way, to be put together, like we talked about. I mean, less so in the yoga studio, but in a commercial gym where I was teaching yoga, I mean, for my hair to look a certain way, makeup, right? Like yep. all the things, 100% move fucking lemon. Yes. You know, like squeezing my body into whatever I needed to, right? Because I had to look the part. Um, 
And I struggled after having my kids, um, you know, feeling that pressure to have my body look a certain way. And what if somebody new came to my class and I hadn't lost all the weight yet? What would they think of me? Right. Because that's perpetuated. It's, you know, people who quote unquote, get their body back. Oh my God. It's so cringy. Um, you know, are celebrated and the people who don't are deemed lazy and, you know, not serious and a whole host of other things. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean like after, so, so all of that after, you know, I had my second child, um, I ended up two years later having another abdominal surgery. And so I've been through a lot with my body and I, my body never looked the same after I had my kids. And after I had that third surgery, cause I had two C-sections. And so that was a lot too. Um, and so even now moving through the world as a fitness professional, as a yoga teacher who is not stick thin, I, I have had to really work hard to divest from that expectation from society and of yeah. myself. Um, another piece of perfectionism is that my workouts have to look a certain way that I need to be on my yoga mat a certain amount of times a week. And that my practice has to look a certain way. Yes, 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 yes. Those ways, all those things, 100% divesting from that. And I don't know if I ever shared with you or, or, um, you know, all your people, but in we're in 2023, right? It is. Yes. We're very end of 2023. Maybe 2024. It depends. It'll be 2024 when this comes out. Yeah. Right. Okay. But in 2022, so last year, two years ago ish, if once this airs, um, I started my breakup with the fitness industry. And that consisted of me stopping my workouts and taking time to re-examine how do I feel about working out asana included yeah because I was so strict on that Monday Wednesday Friday lift and then Tuesday Thursday looks like this and then this is what I'm doing and I got to do this and I got to do that and I was starting this liberation work but I was not starting this liberation work in my own workout like in my own foundation in my own movement practices even breathwork and meditation had to look a certain way. Like there was perfectionism in every thing I was doing, even in my Ayurvedic practices, the way I was pulling in all that wisdom for my self-care was just completely wrapped up in perfectionism. And so I spent the, the first six months of 2022, not really working out beyond what I was teaching. Cause I was still teaching quite a few classes a week. And then it came to summertime. My body, of course, changed and it felt different. And then I started to pepper in different workouts and I no longer kept that strict routine. And so it has been now almost two full years of me just recreating, redeveloping because I love to move my body, always have, but I was coming from a place that was upholding perfectionism culture, diet culture, extreme like, you know, workout culture in terms of, or, or ideals as, as in terms of the workout needs to look this way. And if it doesn't look this way, it doesn't count. Yeah. I didn't do enough, including asana. Um, and so it's been a very interesting two years. Um, because of that and I've learned a lot and I'm still learning and unlearning a lot I mean this two years has been eye-opening but I feel like I'm just scratching the surface to be perfectly honest I think what you said is going to be so relatable like I can feel what you said in my soul because I was the same way like now I've never been a workout like lifting at the gym kind of person but yoga has always been what I've done and it was like 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I had to do heavy like standing poses, make sure my heart rate was up, make sure I was practicing this pose and that pose. And then Tuesday, Thursday, mm -hmm. I was doing seated poses, making sure I was like flexy and bendy. And it's oppressive. It is an mm. oppressive way to live. And if this is a liberation practice, you have to divest yourself from the things that are oppressing you, including asana. And mm -hmm. it's, I, I, I tell the story sometimes, like when I trained to be a yoga therapist, this is 2011, you know, so yoga therapists tend to train in like these really beautiful places. So I'm like up in this retreat center in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I was a single mom with a two-year-old and like had managed to figure out how to get there. And I was sitting with all these people in the room and somebody said, how often do you practice yoga? And it wasn't a teacher, like we were talking amongst ourselves and the guilt and shame person by person by person as we went around the room. And I was the only person there who was practicing five days a week. Everybody else was like, oh my gosh, it's two, maybe three. I know I should be doing more. And it was like mm. all this guilt and shame. And at that time, I didn't pause to realize that I felt so imperfect in other parts of my life because I was a single mom and you know my marriage had failed and I didn't feel like I was doing that well enough that I had to be perfect somewhere else. Yeah. in order to make up for that and people yeah. like i was rewarded for being that person in that environment instead of somebody just being like what the fuck? how do you have time to do that <laughs> <laughs> i just be like no i'm up at 5 a.m it's fine i just sleep like four hours a night <laughs> like, it's insane exactly it's insane yes no but that's the thing first of all i'm sorry second of all I think there is so much to what you just said because, and, and that's what's glorified, right? It's yes. The, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I get my work in it. And here's the thing. If that's what you want to do, if that is what feels supportive for you, yes. But doing it for the sake of doing it to check it off the list or to make yes. yourself feel better of all the other ways that you're failing or not showing up in life. That's not the right reason because here's the thing. And I talk about this all the time in terms of like the fitness industry. I, and, and now that I'm uncovering more in the yoga industry, I realize it's there too, that how many people who are the guides, whether they are teaching a strength training class, a cardio class, or a yoga class that are deeply struggling with their mental and emotional well-being, their own yes. self-worth, their self-image, all of the freaking things and working out a certain amount of days a week, your asana practice looking a certain days a week, certain way, or you're doing it a certain amount of days a week, being a vegetarian or vegan. If you're a yoga teacher or yoga yes. practitioner, right. Certain dietary things, which by the way is diff, like choosing to do something because you want to for yourself versus feeling you have to obviously medical reasons, medical conditions aside, that's not part of this conversation. I mean, you know, like it's just all so problematic and it's so prevalent even within those of us who are guides. And I am not here to, you know, criticize anybody who is like shit stuff. I'm really struggling mentally and emotionally in terms of my health in those, well, fuck yes. And that's to be expected because of the world we live in. So let's normalize that. Yes. Right. So that's not what I'm saying, but like to be actively in this constant state of turmoil, that's the problem. Yes. Right. Where you're not using the practices to create ease and support. You're using the practices as like gold stars. Like I got the gold star. I got the gold star. I got the gold star, but I'm showing up yes. dysregulated. I'm showing up as an asshole. Um, you know, continuing to create harm or or hold up the, the the cycle in the dominant culture like oppressive system like that's not it yeah Ooh. yeah that's it that's it right there because i mean that's been my experience absolutely like and and while my experience is mine i'm also not so like i don't think i'm unique in that way i don't i think that's most of us mm -hmm. feeling like we're we want the gold gold stars yeah and then again when you push up against that barrier of realizing you'll never get enough gold stars you'll never knew, do enough yoga asana to get enough stars to be the good person it doesn't exist yep. 
then instead of saying this is a structure we need to dismantle we then shovel the shame and guilt onto other people because it's uncomfortable to sit there in that moment of tension there's tension right there exactly exactly something i've been talking to my clients about uh this month is because we've kind of um each month we focused on a different um limb in terms of the eight limbs and this month we're talking about samadhi and how in the west it's bliss right it's bliss and it's that destination of happiness and (laughs) i've done it i've done the thing i've gotten an a i've achieved (laughs) right yep and i even talk about my to my college students about this too right because it's like is there another way to think of this? Because happiness can't be a destination. Bliss, ease, peace cannot be just a definite destination that we're actively trying to get to with all of our hard work and all of our achievement, right? It has to be an, ex- an accessible place now. And Oftentimes, then we say, well, and let me be very clear in when I, in where I'm coming from when I say this, because people will say, well, once I achieve this, once I, you know, get this status or get this job or get this thing, right, then I'll be quote unquote happy. I want to be very clear that we are not talking about basic needs being met, safety, right, all of these those things that's not equity yes 100% we need to um center that but that's not what I'm talking about right I'm talking about like that status stuff and so a question I've been asking my clients is in this time in this moment what does peace mean now in this exact time of being for you. And your answer may be different tomorrow at this time. Your answer may be different later today, but what does peace mean? What does to not be in mental and emotional turmoil in this moment mean to you? What does peace in this moment mean? Right. Because I think as yoga teachers, we put that on a pedestal, that eighth limb. Yes. That we have to practice asana a certain way. We have to practice pranayama a certain way. We have to meditate a certain way. Those, you know, three things. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Got to do it a certain way in order to open the door towards bliss, peace, ease. Again, bullshit. Right. It's that that's also where perfectionism is showing up in the way we as teachers are offering that teaching guidance into our spaces. Yeah. I guess we're going to leave our listeners with the question, what does it mean for you to already be good enough at everything you're doing today and right now? Circa Steph Galante. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Steph, tell everybody where to find you. Oh, you can find me on Instagram at Steph Galante. You can find me um, on my podcast, Humaning, the shit we need to talk about. Um, you can find me on the interwebs at stephgalante.com. <laughs> Um, and I would encourage you to hop on my newsletter. I typically am emailing weekly regarding, you know, musings in my own life, how, you know, messily I'm showing up. That's something I always love to share with everybody because, you know, my life is messy. Um, I don't mind sharing that because, you know, then I get to talk about how self-care is really helping me through. Um, and also, you know, talking about all things about the podcast and offerings coming up and all the things. So come and find me. Thank you for coming and having this conversation today. It was so good. Yay. Thanks for having me always. Thank you so much, Steph, for coming on the podcast. 
you are legitimately the coolest. Here are our key takeaways. First, guilt and shame can buckle us on a lot of levels. Our life experiences often butt up against the feeling of guilt and shame, which makes us feel uncomfortable. In order to off-gas that feeling, we then turn and make other people feel shame and guilt as well. We're currently in the midst of seeing this vicious cycle in both our local communities and I think on a global scale. Please stay attuned with how you're feeling so that you can pause when you feel that guilt and shame and deal with it yourself. Yoga gives us the tools to do this, so let's commit to using them. Next, change begins with small steps. This is an important step that Steph pointed out. You don't need to start your work at deconstructing perfectionism by having a hard conversation with a yoga studio owner or confronting a family member. You can start by deciding to shift your own expectations of how you show up for yourself and also try maybe wearing grungy sweatpants to class and offering your real life experiences to your students. Not in a way that leverages your challenges or traumas, but an offering to your students of who you really are. It is a relief to see the hard days of people we look up to because we all have them and it's nice to have everybody who's in front of us feel relatable. Next, perfectionism in the wellness space shows up in sneaky ways. The way we talk about food and movement and behavior can be laced with deep undertones of perfectionism. It is okay to eat cake and cookies and meat and to not have your feet hips distance apart and downward facing dog and more. If what I just said made you feel a little uncomfortable though, maybe you are able to pause and examine why. The reason could be that sugar makes your belly ache, or maybe it just looks nice when our feet are the same distance apart, or some other reason. The action isn't to prove that your belief is right or wrong, but to understand why you believe it. Next, there is so much pressure to be the perfect person as the yoga teacher. Most of us have a complicated relationship with wellness because it is both our job and our practice. How do you feel about that? Next, it is critical that we embody self-compassion so that we can model that for our students. This is something I consider to be a high priority, not for my own happiness alone, but also for my job. It is difficult and I struggle with this one consistently, but I also can hold space and grace for myself to grow and change on this journey of life. Next, Doing something for the sake of saying you're doing it is not the right reason for doing anything. For example, you don't need to be up at 5 a.m. practicing yoga unless you really want to because that's what lights you up. I don't do that anymore and I feel 0% guilt about it. You're not a bad yoga teacher if you don't do that. Let me repeat that. You're not a bad yoga teacher if you don't get up at 5 a.m. and practice. Being a good or skilled yoga teacher involves much more than the natural inclination towards being a morning lark. Next, using yoga practices for gold stars instead of for your own ease and support is frankly not the appropriate way to use a yoga practice. Note to the listener, the narrator is reminding herself of this as much as you. Please use the practice to support you, even if your practice involves vigorous physical movement. The movement is there to support you, not so you can get a gold star. And also, the same sentence can be true, but replace gold star with bypassing life. We can sometimes use yoga practice to be either gold star good, or also to bypass or take away focus from the hard things in our lives. And let's not do either of those things. And finally, I will end with the question that Steph posed. What does it mean for you to already be good enough? Thank you so much for joining me this week, friends. Next week, I am breaking from this perfectionism series for a sneak peek of our travel and tourism mini season that's happening starting in April. I got the opportunity to chat with Heather Sanders from the Sedona Yoga Festival, and I wanted to share our conversation with you because the festival's coming up soon. Heather is super engaging, and she gives such a good overview of the passion, dedication, and creativity that goes into running events and retreats. 
I honestly don't think most folks really understand what it is to facilitate that kind of event. So take a listen and hear for yourself. I think you'll find it fascinating. As always, my friends, I am so grateful for your time and attention as you listen to this podcast. I know that you can be doing literally anything else, and yet you've chosen to spend your time here with me around the water cooler. And I am so very grateful. I will catch you next week. Bring your tea and we'll chat.